Please note our website has changed to riskcommentary.ca. You're listening to the Risk Commentary Podcast. Are you responsible for managing risk but feel frustrated with a confused process? Your host, Edward Robertson, has helped clients not only face uncertainty but also solve chronic business problems by using clear methods with a minimal footprint. Do it right and your people will smile, love the risk process and invite you back. Stay tuned to find out how. This is Episode 8, How to Establish Context. This is really the second in a two-part series on how to establish context. And I really answered the question with the last episode by setting out the elements of what I call the context paper. It's so helpful to write a brief context paper to set out the scope and the assumptions that go into a particular discussion of risk identification. And this irons out all kinds of misconceptions at the front end so that when you finally get in the meeting room with your people, the session tends to go just so much more smoothly. It goes like clockwork, and you will be really grateful for having done this work up front. So at this point in our podcast series, we've established the rationale and practical working definitions for enterprise risk management. We did that in some earlier episodes, and now we're right into methods the uh, all-important core practice um, of enterprise risk management, at least in my concept of it, is what I call high-quality risk assessment. And the first step in that is to establish the context, by which we mean establish the context for the purposes of a particular risk ID. Now, that context paper that we covered last time with its various headings, it really has two purposes. One is to serve as a facilitation aid. So it's going to serve to get everyone literally on the same page with respect to their understanding of what you're going to be discussing before they get in the room even. And the second purpose is to serve as a a piece of due diligence. It's going to be a record of what the discussion was all about, what the scope was, who attended, perhaps even who was invited and who did not show up, and so on. Oh, including, by the way, Um, the constraints that you are working within. Perhaps there were some instructions from the higher-ups on not to discuss this or that. Okay, that will be recorded in the context paper. So that way you'll be able to go back and point to exactly the constraints and the conditions that were imposed upon your identification of risk for a given topic. The more immediate concern, though, is that we simply do not want to start identifying risk in any business situation where we are unclear what the goals and objectives are. And it's doing this context paper that helps you check all of that to make sure that everything is properly in place. So at the risk of repeating myself, let me just quote you a brief passage here. One key message is, do not fall into the trap of trying to lead a risk ID session, much less implement an entire ERM program where goals and objectives are poorly defined. Do not become embroiled in conducting risk assessment for groups who have not done their research and created coherent plans. Any discussion of risk without adequate preparation will end up going around in circles because the target for identifying risk keeps changing in people's minds. You know, many times in the early years of trying to sort all of this out, I would accept just at face value the expression of goals, objectives, plans, and so on that people would give me uh, in preparation for a risk ID session. 
And why would I do that? It's because, of course, we wanted to be conciliatory, we wanted to cooperate with people, we wanted to get the job done quicker, and so on and so forth. But I can tell you, it's just not worthwhile. You're going to lead people down the road of confusion, and it's going to reflect poorly on the risk ID process itself. And not only that, it's going to affect the credibility of the facilitator. It's going to affect your own professional credibility. So you may not get a second chance with any particular group. So it's important to get it right from the outset. And that's why I really strongly counsel you to take seriously this whole business of establishing the context, as I'm explaining it in today's episode and the one last week, and before that, to take a look at the planning regime to make sure the planning practice is really of good quality. Well, in the summary for this episode, I was saying, uh, what happens if establish the context, at least the way I was describing it in the last episode, where we prepare a context paper with headings for goals and objectives and so on? Uh, what happens if that does not apply in my particular business situation? And, you know, if that's the case, you're not alone. In fact, it's going to be a very small minority of businesses that already have documentation set out where they've got clear hierarchical goals and objectives. So what is more likely is that you've got some other situation. So I've got a series of possible contexts that we can discuss here that are all perfectly feasible. Now, the first uh, example of an alternative context, if you don't have hierarchical goals and objectives set out in sort of a classic fashion, the first alternative could be uh, simply a budget. And this is something that, of course, many organizations will have in common. Whether that's a budget, you know, at a grand level for the entire year or at a departmental level or whatever it is. So I would still recommend writing the context paper along the lines of what I suggested in the last episode, number seven, But this time, the context itself, the plan, so to speak, will be the budget, and the task will then be at the risk ID session to simply trace through each line item of the budget and to identify the risk that the intended action, the goal that is implied in the line item, uh, may have some uncertainty attached to it, or indeed that the budgeted amount that is assigned to that line item will be insufficient. So in other words, on each line item in a budget, you're going to have the opportunity to identify risk with respect to executing on that item or with regard to the fact that it might be under budgeted, underfunded, or with regard to the fact that you're going to have a delay and you won't meet the scheduled timeline. So the second alternative context I want to discuss is project management. In other words, you're going to be identifying the risk for a certain project within the process of the formal project management methodology. If you're using project management methodology, it already gives you a much more structured context to deal with to identify risk because the goals are clear, the timelines are clear, all of the various uh, factors and elements that feed into a given result are already set out in a critical path and so on. So I recommend that instead of a cursory review of risk within project management, you actually apply the full high-quality risk assessment process. And so that leads us to the third possible alternative context. If it's not a budget or a formal project, it might be actually a contract that you need to review. So because a a contract is a formal arrangement, it's going to lend structure to to the discussion of risk with respect to its deliverables, um, the various conditions that will uh, impinge upon timelines and so on. 
the discussion of risk identification within the context of a contract could really be greatly expanded. Um, I'll give you one example. In a formal institutional setting like corporate or government, a contract template could be imposed by one side or the other, which contains boilerplate language, clauses that are not strictly necessary to the case at hand, but are conferring some sort of advantage to the people who are proposing them. Moreover, it's possible to identify ready-made risk financing solutions that actually could be just too expensive. So in that sense, conducting risk ID in the context of a contract can be an important way to establish equitable terms and conditions for both sides, and the final plan for risk mitigation and risk financing and so on becomes a tool to actually, as my former supervisor used to say, to paper the deal. I'll make one final comment with respect to projects and contracts. And that is that the scope, the magnitude of the work at hand could be long-term. It could be something that really requires risk assessment to be applied at each of the defined stages of a long-term project or contract. Well, let's move on to yet another alternative context. You might find that your work really is best expressed in terms of some sort of a workflow. You might have an administrative procedure that is repeated on a daily or on a weekly basis, or you might have uh, technical processes, something in manufacturing or, or in a scientific setting. Well, this is a perfectly feasible context within which to identify risk, because after all, there are certain inputs to the process. There are uh, defined processes and transitions between stages, and of course, there are outcomes or outputs which probably have quality criteria attached to them. Now, I've done risk assessments in this sort of setting where you've got a process that needs to be reviewed and assessed for risk. The best way to set it out is in the form of a, a graphic flowchart so that each person in the risk ID session can have a visual cue to be able to trace through the various steps and stages and transitions and to identify risk at any point. So the whole point is to identify risks so that eventually you'll be able to optimize this procedure, this process, whatever it is you're uh, scrutinizing. And I find that you can use some generic criteria to apply to just about any technical or administrative process as follows. The cost, the quality, the timeliness, the efficiency, and the efficacy of any given step or transition in the uh, flowchart process. So you can see that identifying risk with the benefit of a flowchart to illustrate a workflow is really a way to be comprehensive and quite effective in identifying risk. For example, you might have a manufacturing setting where the first operation is, oh, let's say, to receive materials. All right, so each person sitting around the table when reviewing this sub-process of receiving materials is looking at it from their own perspective. So the safety expert will have certain comments with regard to the uncertainty about this action or that action. The supply chain expert might say, well, the uncertainty here is that the supplier will not be able to provide us with this material or that material. The people charged with managing inventory and materials might see uncertainty with regard to you know, how barcodes are functioning or something like that. Well, let's move on to our next example of an alternative context. It could be the case that in your organization, you don't necessarily have clear goals and objectives, but they are expressed in a different format, and that is through a performance plan, a performance management regime. Now, that's the advantage of a performance management regime. That is, there are certain uh, structures, criteria, targets, and so on that are set out explicitly, and that gives you a structure for identifying risk. 
that means at the risk ID session, the question will be, what is the risk, what is the uncertainty with respect to achieving this performance target or that performance target? Now, this is only meaningful if the performance management regime itself is really um, well constructed, if it's well built, that is, if you're measuring the things that are truly important and truly relevant to the business. The final example of an alternative context that I want to discuss is the possibility for conducting a session within a specialized discipline. So let's say you've identified the need to conduct a dedicated session within a specific branch of risk management. That could be something like IT security or environmental impact assessment or health and safety and so on. The experts in each of those areas will have their own criteria, their own risk categories, their own mitigation methods, and so on, that someone who's a non-specialist simply can't bring to the table. Keep this in mind when you're conducting risk ID in a generic planning context and people bring up risks that are really pertaining to one of these specialized areas. You'll simply have to take it offline, make a note of it, and if need be, uh, convene a session that is dedicated to that topic. Well, so far we've discussed several examples of alternative contexts. If you don't have goals and objectives set out in sort of a classic form, then you can just as well establish context in some other form, whether it's a contract, performance management regime, a project, and so on. Now, I hasten to add that any particular alternative context that we're talking about we'll still have to meet the quality criteria that we were talking about for planning in general. In other words... The goals or intended actions have to be properly expressed and formulated. They have to be substantiated and justified through research and so on. You know, I've been in many situations where I've had to go back and forth with the project lead to make sure that the program goals were properly formulated, properly substantiated, and really gave uh, a good, a clear picture on what the intended actions were. I'll read you a quick quote. Even if it takes several iterations, take advantage of this opportunity to work with the project lead to identify and resolve any vagaries, deficiencies, or contradictions in the planning context. Doing this work in advance will prevent a great deal of confusion later on when identifying risk. So the strange outcome of this is that as risk manager, you actually end up being sort of a consultant for planning and you end up coaching managers on how to properly formulate plans, how to research them, how to substantiate them, and so on. I think you'll find that many people will actually welcome that kind of help because a lot of people are good at doing what they do, but they're not so good at documenting and sort of analyzing in abstract what they do. And this process of documenting, establishing the context in a documented form, helps them see their business in a way that they just hadn't considered it before, even before you get to the risk ID session. So what did we cover today? This was the second episode in two episodes dedicated to establish the context, which is the preparatory step in high-quality risk assessment, but it's not adequately treated, I find, in the standards, and we needed to expand on the concept so that you could understand what the rationale for establishing the context really is to give you different ways to do that, including writing a context paper with various headings and different ways to conceptualize the context itself, going through not just goals and objectives um, in sort of a hierarchical planning fashion, but also to consider alternatives such as contracts, projects, budgets, performance management regimes, technical and administrative workflows, and so on. 
So remember, the ERM champion must scrutinize the planning and even coach managers to adopt a complete planning practice. And as a consequence of doing that, the risk information that is ultimately developed in the risk ID and assessment session will make clear sense. Thank you for listening. Please note our website has changed to riskcommentary.ca. Visit today for episode transcripts as well as books and online courses. That's riskcommentary.ca.